Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Bash Bros Podcast. My name is Brad Nelson and today I'm joined by my co-host and brother from another mother, Corey Baumeister. What is up? Bro. Bro. Okay. Thank God. I needed you to finish that. Otherwise, I don't know if I'm truly, if it's my turn to speak, but I'm doing really good, man. I'm excited for another fantastic week uh, co-hosting this beautiful podcast. Yeah. And all the magic that we get to play. It's, it's the the weeks have been nice. The weeks have been good. Uh, Yeah. Before we get any further, I want you all to know that you can find this podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitchers, and also that the Bash Bros podcast is now officially sponsored by BCW Supplies. We will be getting a commercial made here shortly, but we Sweet. haven't done that yet. But I, I wanted to do commercials since the first one we made with that Full House theme song. I'm not going to lie. So any excuse to make another one, I am all in. You do love making random commercials and content. We we, we should... Uh- We'll find time to make some new ones. I, I honestly, you. honestly, I think I missed my mark as just being an exaggerated commercial uh, actor. You know, the people that are like, oh, what am I going to do without nine pieces of Tupperware? And then they like throw it in the air and like promise, sigh at the camera. I, I, th- I think you. that's me. Yeah. I promise you those people that is not where they wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then guess how much better of a job I could do wanting to be there. Yeah, that is true. And also, this is the official (laughs) podcast of MTG Melee. Go to MTG Melee uh, to MTGMelee.com to find any awesome magic tournaments to be playing in, including the SCG series and Red Bull on tap. Now, we can finally get to our special guest and our topic for the week. So Mm. lately in standard, Sultai has been dominating, right? Oh, that's a fact. That is a fact. Absolutely. And and the deck has had a lot of different iterations. And one of the most interesting things that comes up in standard, especially when there is a dominant deck, is what, uh, you know, those in the biz like to call an arms race. And we will get into... Oh, yeah. People with arms playing the deck. I agree. That That does come up a lot. And that's that's what we're going to be discussing. But we thought we'd bring in someone with two arms. So, you know, since we're talking about arms races, we brought... We want to bring someone in with that has two arms and sometimes might be involved in races. We're not actually quite sure, but it is nothing other than Brian Brundu. And how's it going, BBD? You know, it's it's going great. And, um, you know, I got to say. Really, it's an honor. Uh, It's a privilege honor to be here. (laughs) Yeah, it's a privilege to be a part of the Bash Bros podcast. one thing I want to note, though, is, uh, Corey, yes. you definitely did miss your calling uh, doing those kinds of commercials. I could have easily seen you on a billboard in my local town uh, mm. looking for medication for erectile dysfunction. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, uh, that's, hey, If it pays that's, the that's bills, really... man, if it pays the bills, I can, you know, bring my condition to light anytime. Definitely, uh, definitely pays the pills, all right. Oh! Um, <laughs> Hmm. So, so speaking of races, though, have either of you played any uh, Fall Guys yet? I haven't. I've been watching oh. like Alias V stream it a lot, and it looks like a blast. We, we, um, but we I got, haven't tried it yet. We got PlayStation Plus or whatever for a month, okay, just, just to play it. So if you get PlayStation Plus, you get it for free on PlayStation. Sure. And but it's like ten dollars a month, or you could buy it for sixty dollars a year. And the way we play video games is we kind of play it until we stop. So we're like, hey, let's just try this for a month. Play it in. in I think that's how everyone plays it, Brad. Well, we we like you know we won't finish it, and, but like we we don't use yeah. PlayStation Plus, so we only got it for a month. We played it for like three or four days, and we were loving it so mm-hmm. much, right? And Amber and I were just loving this game. It's a really fucking good game. Yeah. But then randomly, she just came 
onto a game called What the Golf for that's an iPhone game. And it's, okay. a, it's a golf game for people who hate golf. Now, I love golf. But <laughs> Wait, game, go- golf or golf? Golf, G-O-L-F. Okay, all right. <laughs> and so, like, this game is absurd, though. And I, I just want to say one thing. So the first hole, right, it's like you're a character, you've got the, the golf ball, you swing the club, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you swing it, and the ball goes towards the hole, and then you put it in, right? This sounds um, like golf, yep. Yeah, then, then it's like st- stage two. It's the exact same stage. But when you swing, instead of the ball going anywhere, you and the club go flying. <laughs> and the body has to hit the pin. Wow. And, and, and now I'm at a part of the game where I am a, like, I, I am like a car racing a sheep to the finish line. It's, it's no longer golf anymore. And so, the game so, is amazing. So, so it's they, like a, <laughs> go ahead. I was gonna say they just they they made it they finally made a video game for Holy Moly. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, they did. They did. I was gonna say this sounds like you started golfing eighteen holes, but you took a bunch of LSD to start it, and then just that's what happened at the end. Oh, yeah. Wh- whoever made this game it, it has such a wild imagination. I mean, I can't even describe all the different stages of this game. And, yeah. <clears throat> and they. Like golf is just a loose idea of what this game now is. Like it is just like, yes, there are balls and yes, there are pins, but there are dynamite and floating and space and races. And I mean, it's, it's, is there arms races? There are arms races. Um, But yeah, let's, let's, let's get into that. That sounds absurd. That game is really fun though. But fall guy, I, I suggest getting it. It's a lot of fun to play. It's okay. so cute and fun and random. I'm terrible at it. I'm more yeah. of like a winter or spring guy myself, but. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm more of a, a a jump guy. I don't like to fall as much, but, you know, that's fine. Yeah, no one wants to be the fall guy. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people in America right now not wanting to be the fall guy. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but all right. So, so before we get into our main topic, let's actually just go over something that will, you know, pertain to the main topic, which is the previous tournament winners from this past weekend. On MTG yes. Melee, we saw Red Bull untapped IQ5 won by Anthony Ar- Arvello. Let's just go with Anthony. Uh, Anthony won with Is It Agro going 12-1 and one throughout the tournament. It's a very unique list. Um, yeah. We'll have a link in the description to the tournament so you can go uh, find this deck list. And all these deck lists that we talk about will be uh, in our Discord Um in, in the show notes, but this is a very unique take on the deck. Did very well. Very good against Soltai. Watched some of the coverage. Uh, it was awesome. And then uh, on the other side of the pond, technically, even though everything's digital, uh, we had the Star City Games Championship Qualifier number three, and that was won by Alexander Gordon Brown with a very unique take on Soltai Ramp. And actually, the reason why we're on the topic we are today, which is arms races. And Alexander oh, yeah. went 10-1 and one throughout the tournament kind of just dominated, um, I mean, was 7-0, took a loss in an, an irrelevant match, and then, you know, 3 out the top eight. Very yeah. impressive showing. The deck looked fantastic the whole weekend. Yeah, it was really impressive to hear from Alexander at the end, too, like a really well-thought-out deck list, you know, just a well-thought-out person, really methodical and stuff. I, I loved, 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 loved his post-winning uh, uh, interview. Um, that you can probably still go check out. It was it, it was just really really good. Yeah, it seems like a very cool well, down to earth person. Um, yeah, 
When you said a well thought out person, I was like, yeah, whoever designed Alexander Gordon Brown, they did a great job. They really thought it out. You know, they really. Yeah. He well, he thought out himself very well. How about that? Is that better? Raised right. Um, Yes. So, uh, no. And then I actually, you know, I I usually uh, do my due diligence and look look into things. I like to I like to learn a lot. Right. When I just about magic in general. And so. I, I looked up Alexander through on MTG Melee. I was able to see that there's a Twitter account. Go check uh, Alexander out on Twitter and saw that they posted their Soltai ramp, the decklist that they played the day before. You know, oh, I've been doing really well with this deck. Uh, this is what I'm going to play in the SCG, you know? So it was yeah. just there, and it was it was on the internet ready to go, and then just destroyed this tournament, and I, I don't know if anyone else played it, a similar build of it, but it was very impressive. Loved it. Gave me the idea for today's episode topic, which is the standards arms race. So yeah, one one last thing I wanted to touch on that. Another deck that was actually pretty close to Alexander's list was um, the person who took second. Now, sorry, I don't remember their name, um, but it was a very similar Soltai list where they had like three shark typhoons in the main and we're going towards more of the flash strategy as well. A little bit more counter spells and stuff. And you know, just destroyed me in the top eight because I was kind of on the level one for the weekend, which was just add more Narsets uh, to the deck and try to just, you know, recognize that that is a card that's really good in the mirror. But the Shark Typhoons were leveling the people that were just adding Narsets. So, I mean, I handily got destroyed by them and it made sense that they went one, two by, you know, taking a risk and playing that kind of uh, style of Soul Tide Ramp. Well, that's that's interesting because I was playing with Shark Typhoon on Friday, actually. Um, and I yep. was talking about it in the Discord because that was the evolution was Shark Typhoons were starting to really show up. And that's actually like, that was the most recent kind of becoming popular build of the deck. And that's mm-hmm. what Alexander leveled by adding Brazen Bar to the deck. Um, yep. but, like, we're going to get well, into... Ex- Oh, I just want to say that I actually sent Watsi an email five years ago with a design for Shark Typhoon. So I was actually playing Ooh. it before you were uh, even. Oh, yeah. Brian, yeah. like, I, I, like <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how to um, explain this to you, but Wizards doesn't want your pirated movies. Okay. And, and that does not count as car design. Like, but no. when, if I. But I can't download a car, so like, how does that? Like, <laughs> I, I I understand. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit back and let you two dig yourself out of this hole that yeah. you just got yourself in. <laughs> I'll wait for the next topic and then I'll jump in. But you guys have fun unpacking whatever the hell. Well, that was. The, so the I was trying to arms race yeah. the uh, concept of who played Shark Typhoon first. So yeah, yeah. Um, I actually thought of it when I watched. Sharknado way back in the day. So you're, uh, you're that's admitting when I to watching Sharknado. <laughs> Actually, I haven't seen it, but I, I only know the joke. Discovered the first shark in human history. Oh, Jaws? And now it's pre-Jaws. Okay, oh. you're not you're not starting an arms race. You're just being a one-upper. And <laughs> <laughs> speaking of that, there's a there's a time we found a movie on like Amazon Prime. Well, Amber found it. I don't I don't go searching for these crazy movies. But it was about like sharks and avalanches. It was just a bunch of people stuck in like that is a weird combo. (laughs) Yeah, in a mountain, and these sharks would like like surf the the snow like the ocean. So you'd see a fin popping out. 
had. Wow. Oh, I mean, it was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, if anyone, if everyone knows the name of that movie, I forgot it. But I'm please don't tell us. I guess yes. I can just Google Snow Shark movie. Let me just let me try that. I think it's just called Shark Typhoon. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see the power of Google. No, no, no. That's that's Sharks and Wind BBD. It would be uh, okay. Yeah, Shark Lanch. You know, yeah, yeah, it sharks. It's called it's called Avalanche Sharks 2014. Wow. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that is right. All right, so. <laughs> Let's 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 start off our topic. Um, yeah, let's do that because we're making our audience his IQ points go down the our, more we talk about these is... shark avalanche. Oh, they they knew what they were getting into. We don't need okay, that disclaimer fair. anymore. Um, <laughs> so let's actually talk what an arms race is for anyone that doesn't know. So I, I've I've written out this loose description. I'm going to read it and then let you and uh, you and Brian just butcher it away. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. So here is my loose description. I didn't even, I didn't even, ch- whatever. I'm not even going to say it. I'll just, uh, I'll just go. First rough draft. <laughs> An arms race is when a single art type becomes more and more inbred as it tries to beat itself. We call it an arms race because it's the most common way to win a mirror uh, is to become a little bit bigger for the mirror, which weakens the deck against the rest of the field. And then over time, an arms race is not won by the archetype performing it, but the rest of the metagame that tries to keep, uh, f- uh, I'm not even reading my own words right, that keeps it in check, forcing it to call off the arms race to defend against the now fast, faster, more tempo-based metagame. Another way that uh, an arms race can be beaten can be by the deck, as the deck just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, a tempo variant of the strategy might come out and uh, be able to now get under the strategy. And I feel yeah. like this is something that really happens in standard. Basically, every single uh, set, you know, like every single month and a half in where a metagame actually becomes somewhat defined, then it usually goes to an arm race with just with just how standard is developed. You know, you don't see arms race too much in modern. Um, you know, pioneers kind of either, even though, you know, we would see like inverter arms races a little bit. But in modern, with such a linear format, I feel like we don't see arms races like ever. In yeah, that you, format. you can't yeah. really have an arms race uh, with combo decks or linear decks as much because yeah. so much of your deck has to be dedicated towards your combo or to executing whatever linear strategy you're doing. You kind of really only see it with mid range decks where the point of a mid range deck is to address the metagame at large. Like you build a mid range deck to have tools to beat whatever the metagame is. And if the metagame just becomes that mid-range deck, because it's really good, then the tools to beat it are to, you know, have this arms race get bigger and bigger uh, in in an attempt to beat itself. But there's always a line somewhere. And once you, you know, like everyone's like, all right, I'll add this six mana card to beat the mirror. It's like, well, I've added a seven mana card to beat your six (laughs) mana card. It's like, well, I added a 19 mana card with 17 drawbacks to cast it, but it beats your 17 mana card. Like once it crosses some like imaginary line, uh, somebody can just be like, well, I'm playing mono red and uh, you're never going to, you're never going to get to 19 mana. Um, Like someone just, you know, does that and then you're like okay we've gone like too far on this we have to scale it back so then you got to tone it back so one thing you said um 
it it mostly happens with mid-range deck. Don't you think it's possible that you can have aggro arms races, like in a sense where you're playing a really aggressive shell, but then more people play that, you add like glory bringers because they go over the top in mirror. Isn't that still kind of an arms race when that kind of stuff happens? I don't know if I would really necessarily call it an arms race, but that is generally how to beat, how to win the aggro mirrors to just be a slightly bigger than it. Yeah. Um, but usually what ends up happening in those situations is... Like you turn your aggro deck into a deck with Baneslayer Angel, but it's still an aggro deck, and then a control deck's like, all right, I have Doomblade, and you're an aggro deck that's casting six mana creatures that die to it. Like, yeah, you turn it into angels and angles, right? Yeah, uh, it, yeah. angles and elementals. Is <laughs> oh, sorry, it. dang it. <laughs> so, so yeah, like I mean, I would consider like let's take a mono red aggro deck for example. If you started adding experimental frenzies to it, you know that could be better in the mirror. But if you take it a step further then it pretty much becomes a new deck, right? Because the reason that aggro doesn't work in an arms race is um, it's it's kind of the, um, the the unwritten rule of magic for an aggressive deck is you shouldn't play one mana cards and five mana cards. And now we did that sometimes with cards like Raven Inspector because that was just a good card that replaced itself. Also, um, sometimes you break, you break it when the cards are too powerful to ignore or like, but yeah, that's a general rule. It's not a hard and fast rule. It's like not Glory a hard Bringer. and fast rule is an exception where that card's just too good to not play, but normally you wouldn't want to play it alongside Soulscar Mage or whatever. Yeah, but those decks also had Bowmat Courier and, and things <coughs> that generated these advantages. It had Chandra to help you ramp to five. And the reason that this is just kind of an unwritten rule is if your deck has a difficult time getting five mana by turn five, right? Because so you have seven cards in your opening hand, and then by turn five, that means you either have eleven access to 11 or 12 cards, that, you know, being able to play a one drop on time and a five drop on time, the the, the odds of it are very low. Um, and it's also even just beyond the odds of being able to cast your spells on time. There's also just the, the notion that as an aggro deck, you often either win by going under somebody or powering through somebody. And if yeah. you're playing a one to five curve, you have cards that try are trying to go under somebody that aren't powerful like one drops. And then you have cards that are trying to go through somebody but are powerful, like five drops, and you're and hedging and mixing the strategy together is usually not that successful. And they're not, it just the, usually the, makes your deck actually much worse because you're yeah. trying to kind of split into two directions. You're usually better just picking a lane and doing the best thing, the, the best at making that lane good. And that's exactly. why that's yeah. why an arms race doesn't really happen because a mid-range deck isn't defined by its curve. Um it it picks a curve based on the metagame. And so yeah. if the if the mirror becomes more and more popular, you want to start playing slower, more powerful cards, because like Brian said earlier, the best way to win the mirror typically in standard is to sit right on top of them. Just have a deck that's slightly slower than theirs, but more powerful. Mm. Um, okay. But then as the stacks. Right. And 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 we can go through some old examples here. But as the stacks, eventually there's a break point. And I think like some of the big examples for those that d- haven't really identified arms races yet would be like um, further back in time, Teamer Energy, when after a few of the bands where the broken cards were gone, like the, the Sahili combo and the Marvel, when it was just Teamer Energy. Um, well, let's have a moment of silence for the combo, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no. when, this, is, this is the humble brag moment where we talk about, you know, we put Teamer Energy on the map, right? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Except that's not true. It is true. <laughs> Well, I lost to Teamer Energy in the GP before. Yeah, we it, was played, a no, you know? it was a no one deck, but we we yeah, put yeah, it yeah. on the map. All right, all right, I'll take it. But so then, um, so like Teamer Energy was out for a little bit, and then all of a sudden, people started splashing black for a little bit better removal and the Scarab God, 
because mm-hmm. the mirror would stagnate and the boards would stall, and then you'd have this really over-the-top powerful spell. And the way that Teamer Energy then, to compete with this, would have to play a little bit more linear, try to get under them slightly with a few tempo, reactionary cards, yada yada. And then they played like four glory bringers and stuff, right? Uh, the Teamer Energy that was more linear to the ground to compete with the Scarab God decks? I mean, I don't remember the exact list anymore <laughs> yeah. if they played uh, four or I, not. I, th- I think mostly I'm, what happened was the core of the deck was just so powerful, and those were the cards that won you the game, that you just accepted the fact that you were maybe 47% in the mirror, 48% if they had the four-color yeah. version, because oftentimes what it came down to was just who drew more mm-hmm. rogue refiners and, you know, whatever other who good card more, yeah. just would win anyway. Like, it didn't mm-hmm. really yeah. matter if you were skewing because the best cards were just the ones that everyone played four of anyway. So. But then the complete final form was when those four color energy decks had two Scarab Gods and then Corey. two Glory Bringers. Sorry, we don't we don't have to do inside jokes. Um. <laughs> oh, you're right. I should explain the joke first. Okay, so <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> also, also that's not a joke. That's a uh, that's a you know. That's a family fight right there. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a cause for the destruction of the Bash for His podcast. So. Yeah, yeah, okay. There, there was a back. Team Grand Prix a while back where Corey was the standard seat. Uh, Seth was modern, I was legacy. And Corey wanted to play Four Color Energy with Glorybringers and Scarab Gods. And I was a, a big proponent of playing one or the other because they don't complement each other. Um, yeah. You want to you pick your role. Do you want to be the more controlling deck or do you want to be the more mid-range deck and if you want to be mid-range be three color with glory bringer if you want to be four color control be scarab god four color yeah and i wanted a variety because they were both powerful cards so at particular moments i wanted to draw one or the other but this led into a a, such an argument that i think you know brad may have like ended it with your adopted Corey and no one loves you or (laughs) something like that like our our debate ended in something like that (laughs) yeah it wasn't that like a monster (laughs) i mean it wasn't that bad i was just there for the whole thing Corey. you just weren't wanted yeah okay there we go that's what it was <laughs> you were a mistake not adopted yeah. i got it yeah <laughs> sorry i i put you in that light brad yeah. I, um, I apologize <laughs> but so another another great example was when simic oko came out the first versions were simic and then croquis added noxious grass to the main decks and then all of a sudden we started adding casualties of war to the main decks and then mm-hmm. by the time that uh andre Strowski won the the pro tour where it was the oko pro tour uh you know we had um went back to simic versions that tried to go under the soul type versions had uh yep. you know interesting ways like Apollo had questing beasts and you know there's brazen bars running around and more aether gusts and more tempo based strategies and that that really just shows how this works it's like the the deck will get bigger and bigger and bigger and then Either the rest of the metagame tries to go under it with certain strategies, or the deck itself will take a tempo approach. And we can we can actually correlate this to current standard um, yep. almost identically. So, And uh, I mean, one last thing on that topic, we can actually pretty much correlate it to that uh, Pro Tour in Richmond. Like, we were in the arms race. I remember we all played the Soul yeah. version, and we didn't do particularly well. That seemed like one of the weekends where it was time to go under it because everything was cannibalizing itself. You know, so, everybody was pre-sideboarded in these soul time mirrors and yep. stuff. Yeah. There, yeah. The, a couple of things I want to say about that. Number like well, the first is that kind of what, what I was saying before is there's kind of a line. And once you cross that line, 
that's where, you know, you've kind of almost gone too far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, let's say, let's say that, you know, there's this, the Sultai line or whatever, or the, for the Oko, like somebody finally crosses the line and they have like four casualties of war and two uh, other big mana spells for the mirror. Um, there was another card that people were playing that I think also cost around six mana or something. And, uh, and once people have kind of crossed that line, like that's where it's like, all right, we've gone a little too far and you can either go all the way back to the beginning, uh, again. Cause like that, like finally the original versions of the deck, the more tempo oriented, like, uh, leaner versions of the deck are actually good against this version that's gone so far. But what you can't do is go just over the line again like you can't be yeah. just smaller than it you have to go all the way back to the beginning and, and i think you were thinking about Veraska, right uh yeah i think it, yeah it was Veraska or whatever and then and that like that's basically your options like you can't just go a little bit under it or whatever because then you're just right by the line that was being crossed you have to go all the way back to the beginning uh but i also want to point out that there's one other thing that kind of can happen and we also saw it at that pro tour is uh kind of sidestepping the whole thing entirely um, or winning the arms race in a different way. Um, So oven list, right? What's that? The cat oven list. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like that deck didn't go at the arms race the same way that everyone else was going at it. Everyone else was going at it with these big over the top spells, like casualties of war that could catch you back up or take a commanding league lead. If you if you pulled ahead, but there was also the cat oven version of Oko that went a completely different angle of just generating absurd amounts of card advantage through this engine that kind of sidestepped the whole thing and came at it from a way people were not expecting. And it wasn't really like going at an arms race the normal way. It was kind of just saying like, I'm just going to do a completely different thing under the same umbrella of Sultai Oko. And and that's another thing that sometimes happens too. Like yeah, and and that and that really pertains to the fact that as the the top dog deck or whatever you want to call it um, starts cannibalizing itself, it starts opening itself up to more and more possible weaknesses. Right? It's the Death Star with multiple areas to to, to blow up. And yeah, I mean they're all still like six meter exhaust exactly, pipes, yeah. but yeah, and they're not even exhaust pipes. They're 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 clearly just made out of like you know, material you can get at some lot, the hobby store, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting to sidestep it all together. And it's like, it's not an, it's not an easy thing to do. And it's a huge risk, right? Like uh, going into a tournament where you're playing such underpowered cards in comparison to everybody else, it feels rough. Like it, it, it's just an unnerving feeling, but you know, sometimes you just nail it. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's more into the deck creation side of things, and that's definitely part of this. Like, when you see an arms race happening, that's the best opportunity to find some way to exploit it with a different strategy. But staying on the evolution of his arms race is where we're going to focus today, just just mm-hmm. so people can identify the, st- the steps, the stages that this happens in, and try to figure out what, what to do at each one of those steps. So we're going to start with the format when, when, it, when it came out, right? Um, the bannings happen. We saw Teamer, Mono Green, Mono Red showing up. And then Soltai was the obvious move for the Uro deck. Because once Uro lost, you know, Wilder's Reclamation and Gross Spiral, it was like, what do now? 
The card, Let's do. <laughs> yeah, the card's clearly powerful, but we got to find a shell. Sultai became that shell. And the initial list, like the, the deck that won um, the first championship qualifier for SCG uh, after the bans was a Sultai deck that had three Casualties of War main deck, Extinction Events up the Wazoo, Atamio, Ugin's, Narsets, Teferi, Master of Time, Nissa, you know. Yeah, Planeswalker control deck. It was like two of everything, right? Like it was just every card that could be good. It was kind of just thrown out a deck list and being like, okay, what is actually good? It, it looked like more of a science experiment. Yeah, at the thought beginning. distortion in the sideboard. Yeah. Um, but you know, Ugin's and Casualties of Wars and all these big things. And then, mm. you know, as it starts going, Ugin kind of became a bust. But um in the in the week lead from that tournament to this past weekend. We saw people starting to main deck for Narsets and this being the best card in the mirror because it not only, you know, like we started first identifying that people were playing more hand disruption for the mirrors. They were not only playing Thought, thought Erasure, but they were also playing, what's the other two mana one? Agonizing Remorse. Yes, Agonizing Remorse. There was like going up to like six copies of this, playing more Negates. Um, so then people started playing more Narsets and then the evolution was some people were taking Hydra Christ other deck and or some copies of it to play Shark Typhoon to be able to fight, win these Narset fights. Um, yeah, so and Narset. Oh, sorry. One one quick thing. Narsets also were raising in numbers because people were leaning on Aether Gusts in the main deck instead of Eliminates because it was a more well versed uh, card for the metagame. But obviously, it snuck right under. Um, or you know, Aether Gust does not target Narset in any way. Yeah, so, like, uh, just to be clear about it, it's like, okay, so there's this deck that's Sultai that's really good, and then the arms race is, all right, we're adding, uh, you know, like, Narset to specifically beat the mirror match, because, like, yeah. that's, and, and like, the, the concept of the arms race is fighting your, you know, you're fighting within the deck, and then it's like, okay, people are adding Narsets to beat the mirror match, now we'll take it to the next step, which is adding the Shark Typhoons to beat the Narsets, and then yep. it's like, all right, well, now we have to take it to the even next step, which is like raising borrowers to bounce the shark typhoons. And, <laughs> and it just to keeps attack it, the Narsets. And to attack yeah. the Narsets. So it's like, it's just everyone is just taking it one step further, one step further. But every change is being made with the intention of being better, specifically against the mirror. The guys wanted to make it clear that that's like the arms race that's happening. No, that was a great that was a great reminder. And and now it becomes to this point like we've went so many levels above. Now people start to really think be like, okay, do I try to think of this next way to beat it, or do I just you know try to play is it tempo or play something that these lists are forgetting about? You know, the person who won. Um, sorry, what is it? Alexander, Alexander uh, mentioned in his interview, he's like, you know, if I were to ever play against a mono black deck game one, I literally would just concede. I have no chance with the way my deck is configured. And, you know, now it is time to decide, is it smart or are these decks powerful enough to be able to play them and beat these decks that are cannibalizing each other? Or is Sultai just too good and you should continue to arms race? Like, I don't know the answer to that question. But Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually... um. One of the more difficult questions for Magic, and and, and yep. not every situation is the same, but what we can talk about, at least in this podcast, is like the things we do when we're testing in these tournaments and, um, you know, for these major events and when we get stuck in this, because it ain't the first time, it won't be the last time that a teammate comes to me and is like, you know, shit, do we actually have to get involved in this arms race? Is this deck so good we have to do it? Because there are so many risks that come, come involved with it. If somebody comes to exploit you, you're... You know, you're not going to have the the best chance of of winning those matches, and yeah, um, and 
And I want to say, though, as like as like a brewer or as somebody um, who like, you know, wants to try to uh, like, you know, influence the metagame or uh, or exploit the metagame. Like this is one of the best times for you as a player uh, because it it is kind of open ended what to do. And and there's no obvious answers. And there's a lot of room for somebody to come with something um, that was maybe either forgotten about or uh, unknown and exploit the fact that this like arms race is happening. There's a lot of formats where you don't really get that opportunity as like a brewer because it's like, okay, this deck's like the best deck, like, and you can't really brew to beat it. So like, you don't really get a chance to do something fun, but these kinds of arm races are often a a great time. And we've seen them a lot at pro at pro tours where, I mean, to go back to that same example I was talking about before with the Oko, uh, the Sultai Oko deck, uh, where they came with the version with uh, Trail of Crumbs and uh, Cauldron Familiars and Witches Ovens and stuff like that was a really awesome like brew that really kind of took that tournament by storm and that was a chance for people to to do that kind of thing that like oftentimes you don't get that opportunity in Magic. So well, I mean, and and yep. another even closer example that I think that should be brought up is the the last player store final where. That was also another arms race where four color, um, oh yeah, let's get a tumor reclamation was designed specifically to beat the mirror matches, yeah. and we saw you know it wasn't a new deck. Mardu Winota was not new; it just was not developed, and mm-hmm. we saw mono Jim- black aggro as well. Yeah, I yeah. think mono black aggro is an even better example. You know that that straight up exploited what the best deck was playing with, you know, four fives that are black, that can't be Storm's Wrath, they can't be Solar Blaze, like, you know, that uh, uh, Riku Kuma guy, I believe was his name, he just absolutely sidestepped everyone and, you know, took a big risk, played this deck and, you know, dominated up until the finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I completely agree. And same with same with Marta Winota, where, yep. where it was just a, a deck that needed to be tuned. It was there. Anyone could have done it, but... All of us were stuck, just focused on team reclamation. Where Michael Jacob was like, "I'm going to sidestep. I'm going to tune this deck," and found a very good way to build it, which was never thought of before. Yeah. Um. And so, like that. And that Michael was... Michael Jacob in particular is actually really good at doing that because yes. I want to point out that when we played the teamer deck in GP Denver, he was already playing four color. Uh, he was already playing. This is teamer energy. Uh, three years ago. He was already playing four color energy. He was already one step ahead of the metagame. Mm-hmm. He actually, I think, was too far ahead of the metagame. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, that's that happens. Next leveling yourself. Yeah, I, yeah but I, I played him. I don't remember if I won or lost, though. That's crazy. I don't even remember. But yeah, yeah he was already on four color energy that early into when Teamer Energy was becoming a deck. So that's not a new area for him. He's he's really good at that kind of uh, stuff of. <clears throat> Of yeah. figuring out how far to go in, into an arms race, when to sidestep it by doing something else, uh, yep. that kind of yep. stuff. So, And I mean, honestly, there's no better feeling. Uh, like when you go, you win a tournament, you played the stock best deck. That's cool. That's awesome. But there is no better feeling than really taking a risk and doing something like playing mono black at a players tour finals that's, you know, has a lot of equity and a lot on the line. And then you do very well with it. It's just a very satisfying feeling to essentially put in the work before the tournament, go to the tournament, realize you were right and it's paying off. And then you get the results as well. It's a very fulfilling um, moment whenever that kind of happens. Oh, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. 
for sure but yeah so uh where is the next place that we are going? Um, the, the thing, crazy, man. Yeah. We're going I, think we're, crazy. I think we're talking about, like, how do we make a decision of what to play? Yes. When it, yeah. com- when it comes to arms race stuff, and, and even yeah. in particular about this standard this format. It's like, standard, how, are, yeah. how are we deciding, like, where to place ourselves in an arm race when it's gone too far and you should go back to a tempo deck or sidestep it entirely or pick another deck that exploits having gone too far? Like, how do we make these decisions as a player? Because um, yeah. that's that's actionable stuff that people listening to the podcast yeah. can well, use. I'll, so. I'll start with my personal prof uh, um, um, way that I approach this subject. I open up Facebook. I type in Brad Nelson and I say, <laughs> Brad, should I join this arms race or do you have a deck list for me? That I can just play. And, you know, and if you I don't know, have a Brad Nelson, is. I know what step two is. Yeah. So, well, actually, there is there is a sidestep of step one. Okay. It's, instead of going to Facebook and typing in Brad Nelson to message me, please don't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I love you all dearly, but oh, let's I, I all don't do think it. the masses understand how overwhelming it is to get messages from lots of people. Um, <laughs> and uh, but you can do is you can go to patreon.com slash bashrose podcast, sign up. Uh, on any tier that'll get you discord access. And then in that discord, you can ask, Hey Brad, are you posting a deckless and cyber guide this week? And I'll be like, yes, I am. And I'll post it. Yeah. Um, that is a valuable asset but, that I've used throughout my entire career as a magic player. But, but if you're Corey Baumeister and you ask that question to me, the Brad Nelson will first go to the metagame and try to analyze the metagame. And the best place to do that is what was the last big tournaments metagame and go from there. And mm-hmm. if we take a look at that, uh, I mean, MTG Melee makes it super easy to look at past metagames now. It's kind of absurd. Yeah. It's it's broken compared to before, uh, the, the before four times. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the before times is just literally looking at, you know, GP top eight lists, realizing what's going on there. They would trying have some to beat the decks that are too. doing good, you know? Yeah, 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 but. Um, but so if we looked at the 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 metagame breakdown for him, Red Bull untapped IQ five. Um, and now a good thing to bring up here, uh, I don't want to get too luxury, but um, I actually don't. If you're going to play in the next SCG tournament and you're trying to figure out what you want to do, that's more mm-hmm. of a, a closed ecosystem because you have to qualify for that. So you can either look through all the qualifiers and see what decks were doing well that three one four owed. Um, and try to build a metagame that way. But you can't look at last week's metagame and think that it's going to be the same this coming week because it's it's closed off. It's a it's what I call a winner's metagame. Um, and hmm. that's what... I don't know if I agree with that. Well... I think it's, I think it's a loser's metagame. Okay. So... <laughs> no, I, 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 I let me just explain what I'm saying. But if you just look at the previous standard championship qualifier i feel like those deck lists are going to directly influence the challenges throughout the week and then you know you just kind of can it it still kind of connects like that unless i'm missing something so i'm calling it a winner's metagame in the sense that you have to qualify and win a challenge to get into it so for example if you if you are going to play in another star city games uh championship qualifier which is filled with people that qualified, then you might want to use that data and keep up with that stuff. What I'm saying is you should not use that data to then translate it over to like what you would think the next Red Bull IQ metagame is going to be like, or a challenge, a mythic invitational qualifier weekend on arena, because there's, there's big differences between a winner's metagame and just a metagame. 
like a GP day one versus GP day two. They're two different metagames. Um, and that th there's there's a step involved. So even for one example, last weekend, Star City Games Tournament had a 40%, 40 percent of the field was playing Soltai. The Red Bull had 27.5% uh, playing Soltai. But if you went after eight rounds and you cut to day two, that Soltai metagame was at 40%. You know, does this make sense? Am I explaining this correctly? Yeah. Um, what I'm saying is, like, you can't expect that the winner's metagame of Star City from last week will will be similar to what to expect the following week for, like, Red Bull because people had to qualify. There, there, there is some cream already rising involved. Um, and, and that's an important note to say because sometimes when I'm preparing for a Grand Prix... I, I will make my deck as strong as I can for the, the winner's metagame, the day two metagame. Like, I've told you both that before where, I mean, I don't care. I, it might just be nonsense I say to make myself feel smart, but I'll say... Yeah, like, I, tend to, I tend to avoid playing into that myself. I mean, we've had that argument before, but... Yeah, like, but sometimes I will, like, make a few concessions to... If I think a deck, for example, will not do well on day one and is only going to make up, like, 8% of the metagame and it's mm -hmm. not going to beat the top decks in a Grand Prix, I might ignore it and not have cards for it. If if it's going to just if hope to fade or hope yeah, to get lucky if it's, against if it's going to yeah. hurt my chances in the matchups that I really think I need the extra slots yeah. um, and, and things of that nature. So, And that's a big factor with buys, too, because you get to avoid that kind of riffraff and stuff like that. So that was a, a factor with that no longer yeah. is a factor. Yeah, yeah a, a lot of the stuff is no longer real. Like... Or it's either it's only very particular to a small subset of events, or not like I would say not super relevant to a lot of people listening to the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. In that, in that it, it's like it's more a tournament type thing. It's not really something that would make sense on like the arena ladder, or whatever. of course. Or or mm -hmm. or it won't, yeah, that's true. Or, or it won't make much sense for like the uh, the Mythic Invitational Qualifier weekends, right? Because well, you, you, you play set championship weekends. You'll play against whatever in those events. Yeah, Brad, so. the branding changes every single month. You should know this. Yeah, yeah. that's true. How have you not kept up with it at all? Speaking um, of which, we're already now called the Brothers Who Bash podcast. Nice. <laughs> Eventually, Excellent. we'll be the Aspros. Yes. Uh, I thought cool. we were the Bald Bros now. But, um, <laughs> the only in Japan, Brian. We always will have Japan. But, like... To get to get back on topic, I, I want to say like what I like to do when it comes to like deciding what to do uh, for these arms races. Uh, so what I do is I, I open up Facebook, uh, I type in Brad Nelson, and then I say like, "Hey, dude, it's been two days. Can you please unlock the basement door?" Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then you have to race out of your dungeon. Yeah, to, I got to race get out. Coffee and food. I got to race out. Yeah, arms not really involved that much, but um, all right. I, I, I do well, I do have I do have a place I can go with this that I was getting to. Um, let's, let's say I unlock the door. Yeah. And then Brian's like, Hey, what should I play? Okay. Should I, there should we I go. Be a part of this arms race. So if I look at previous metagames and I try to imagine what the next metagame is going to look like, it's going to be similar. Um, you know, like a lot of these different aggressive decks or, you know, team elementals and stuff like that, they're going to all make up about five or 6% of the metagame. So mm -hmm. if you can lump some of these together and create plans that are comparable to each other, because that's really what you have to start doing when you're debating if you want to be a part of an arms race. Because the more linear 
your strategy gets not not linear, but the more convoluted and uh, inbred your best deck build gets to be able to combat the mirror the best as possible. Um, the more you're going to have to lump your strategies together, you're going to be like, well, my mono green and mono red matchup are going to have to share the same cards. No longer can I have one yeah. or two. No longer can I afford to play a noxious grasp or two. You're like, oh, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, you, you're like, okay, instead of having four cards for the mirror, I now have nine cards for the mirror. Those five cards come out of the expense of some other matchups. And yeah, to, to, to be able to, sometimes you can really get your mileage out of it by finding cards that overlap as good against two or even three, three different decks. I mean, the, the, the dream is it's like, well, this card's good against mono red. It's good against mono green. And it's also randomly good against control too. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. somehow you get like a third deck in the mix and you're like, that's four slots that I get to bring in for a lot of decks. That gives me even more time to put like 19 cards against the mirror, you know, or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, you can even think about like brazen borrower, like has text against these aggro decks now good against like shark typhoons instead of like, Aether Gust, which is only good against two of the aggro decks, or Noxious Grasp, or something like that. I mean, I, something I that really may not agree. be as powerful uh, in the specific matchups, but it's universal, so it fills in some side. I, I, I don't agree with that at all. Like Brazen Borrower is a tempo card when you're a control deck um, against aggressive decks. So the only, the literal only time that a Brazen Borrower is going to have an impact on a game is when it allows you to have more activations of your Planeswalkers. Like, because mm-hmm. it can never fuel your arrows because it'll never die because it'll never yeah. get to your graveyard. Um, and so, it, it, like, that's that's actually a good one. Like, my rule of thumb is in, in in extreme circumstances, keep in, like, a brazen bar against, like, a mono green or mono red if your deck is so good everywhere else that you can afford that. Yeah. But don't, I never leave more than, like, a copy or two at the most. Um in in these such these these arms race situations because the car like you you're playing against mono green and your opening hand is Uro brazen bar or brazen bar you're gonna vomit you're mm-hmm. like I can't keep this yeah. like this this hand does nothing you know like it's just gonna lose yeah I mean oh, I I've guess maybe ca- I've I was kept. yeah sorry <laughs> I was thinking more like you know when rotting Regisar was becoming well, a big deal different. I had like a lot of gusts but I needed some way to interact with that so I had brazen borrower even though it wasn't as good of a card in the other matchups it's it was a card I very much needed yeah uh, when I was playing team or wreck against that Seven, That's six, a complete, the completely different Bra- card and situation. Yeah, like I'm talking like Brazen a- Borrower might. Well, I, I think the point is that Brazen Borrower maybe isn't good, but the argument that it is a card that will, can maybe be the card that fills those three different roles that you're looking for to make room for your arms race still holds, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, like and it might not be a good way to do it, but it is an example of a way to do it. It is, a but great it's like the glue it. that holds together a couple sideboard plants and stuff like I'm, that. I love having I'm some thinking, of those. I'm thinking kind of it's. I, I can well. I, while I agree that this is a good example, I think instead of calling it the glue, I would consider it the makeshift band aid used as duct tape. Yeah, uh, that's basically <laughs> what it is. Okay. Um, so how are dad wrapped presents when we were kids? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> a couple things I want I, I want to say about this um, is is my what I usually do, and I, I don't want to really recommend this because I don't think I'm like that good at winning arms race type. I, I actually don't really enjoy uh, trying to find out how to win an arms race in these kind of mid range things. I, I think I yeah, usually you've kinda, been a sidestepper like uh, yeah, most of your career. I, I usually think. fail at it. I I honestly do. But um, one of the things that has actually given me like some amount of success in this, and this was 
what I did the entirety of the team or energy period too is um, I'll just sometimes ignore the arms race. Like uh, there, you know, like let's say people are doing team or energy, then they're doing these four color energy decks to, to overstep team or energy. And then they're doing four color energy with Frasca's contempt to now beat the other four color energy decks that are playing Scarab God. Cause it's the only answer to Scarab God. And like, you know, yeah. that's like the arms race that's ha- happening. And I'll just say like, Look, I'm just gonna keep playing stock team or energy and because maybe it's I'm, a good deck, yeah. Because it's just a generically powerful deck that's good against the field. And it's like, mm-hmm. sure, I might lose some equity in these arms race matchups. Um, but you know, when I play against Mono Red, I'm gonna crush them. When I play against yeah. uh this other deck, I'm gonna crush them because I have the lean, consistent version of the deck that's just generically good. And that's kind of where I tend to fall upon and even in card choices that's where i often fall upon too it's like yeah you can play your your a a lot of times i think what people do is they'll be like okay um i'm gonna bring in two copies of this card that's like a marginal upgrade to a card in my main deck three copies of this card that's a marginal upgrade to this card in my main deck you know like and they bring in all these like little cards that that kind of like slightly upgrade the matchup and they bring in like nine of them or something Mm -hmm. And and I often don't really like that approach of of like, okay I've upgraded my like disdainful stroke to a negate or, you know, something like that maybe isn't a good example, but it's like it's slightly better than this other card. Um, I kind of like my sideboard to just be heavy hitters uh, where I I can dedicate less slots to it, uh, but they're big, powerful effects. So it's like, you know, to go back to the team or energy example Instead of being like, okay, I had I brought like two disdainful strokes, and then I brought a mag, you know, magma sprays, and then I brought this other thing, and the whole package of these cards will beat this one deck. I was like, okay, I just have two rivers rebukes in my sideboard, and I'm hoping that that's good enough. Like that <laughs> was kind those of days. that was the approach that I like to generally take is to just play big, big effects and big powerful cards in the sideboard instead of trying to piecemeal upgrade my deck um yeah so. wow that's dumb of you brian well that yeah. was just dumb no, i mean I, I, actually, <laughs> I actually think that there's a lot of merit to what you're saying the problem with it is it doesn't translate to this metagame for one stupid reason and it's how nissa interacts with breeding pool and yeah. and and so all these arms races are always going to involve not walking into nissa plus counter spells like so it, I don't know if that invalidates what I'm saying, though, because I think of a card like a Disdainful Stroke as being an incredibly powerful card in certain metagames. I don't know if that classifies as like like Brazen Borrower is the kind of card where that's a piecemeal upgrade card. You know, it's like slightly better than Aether Gust in some situations or whatever. But a, a card like like a Negate or a Disdainful Stroke or something that you'll untap two lands with with breeding pool and then blow your opponent out to me that is a big upgrade and there is value in it being cheaper than the six mana seven mana card someone else is oh, playing oh yeah no i, I i'm i'm more meant like while well, you started started talking like when you said like you'll kind of ignore the arms race okay sure that's, yeah that's what i mean it's hard it's more difficult right now to ignore the arms race because the the like like you said four color had a slight upgrade advantage on three color and even the arms race of of Oko going to four color, then down to the tempo three color, it, it was argued that the 
the Simic version was better than the for, the the Soltai version. Um, at by the end of that format, what I'm saying in this yeah, strongly disagree, but teach their own. Uh, yeah, I mean that was like the argument at the end. It was just like the data yeah. that was coming in. It actually looked like Simic might have might be favored in the in that matchup. But um, what I'm trying to say about the Soltai and the problem with current standard is it revolves so heavily around Nissa that ignoring the mirror means that like they're going to have just have a better version against you in the mirror. So um, I'm not trying to argue that you should ignore the mirror when I say mm-hmm. when I say that I, I'm not like that's not really what I'm arguing. I'm just saying that uh, like I don't want to buy so much into the arms race that I'm, you know, m- like built my entire deck back, yeah. that I'm ruining my deck like. I don't want to cross that like imaginary line where you've gone so far that you've ruined your deck against other decks in the field. I, I'm not saying that you should just pretend the arms race doesn't exist because that's definitely a losing strategy. Because because how this arms race works currently, it's removing the interaction for other matchups from your main deck and playing the correct interaction in the mirrors. Because like the actual like going over the opponent isn't happening. We're already at the tempo part of it. Where, you know, now, like, the, there's versions that don't even play Narsets or Cultivates or any of that stuff. They're just playing the Nissas and then all of the card advantage things with Counterspells, Brazen Power, Shark Typhoon. And um, so we're, like, we've hit that tempo portion. And because of the tempo portion, playing main deck removal is, like, very detrimental to, to your game plan. Because they're going to create, they're going to generate an advantage and then you're going to, they're going to two for one you a lot. And and tempo you out a lot. And and so that's the I'm just saying what you said is actually has applied to almost every other format, but it's hard for me to apply to this one. Sure. That's that's, that's what I'm saying. Fair. Like it's actually like the best advice that we could give on this subject. It just does not pertain to this. Cause I was with you. i I didn't jump on the four color. I played teamer the whole time and I had very good results. I had over 80% one percentage for my entire time playing teamer energy, and half of that other people yes. playing playing three color you know i also had very good results just playing team energy and not playing a fourth color but yeah oh that format was great mm-hmm. i miss it <laughs> so that, it that was horrible okay <laughs> so here we are applying this to to current standard we have soul type ramp that we don't currently i mean the whole audience there's some people that probably have their opinions but i i, I don't like to say anything factual unless i know exactly and I can't tell you if the versions that Alexander uh, are gonna are the best, or if the versions that go back to playing some counter spells and just narcissists are the best, or there might even be another version. Like we might see Nightpack Ambusher start coming out, right? That's right. Another- that, that that's a sidestep kind of attempt. You know, yeah. like that's an example of trying to sidestep. It's like they're doing this arms race. I'm playing a, a completely third angle of like maybe a flash kind of angle to it. That's not mm-hmm. part of the arms race, but could beat it. Yeah. yeah. Or is it tempo or mono green? You well, know, I mean, diff- like, yep. who knows? Yeah. <laughs> who knows what people are going to do and what's correct? Yeah. I mean, I'm more on just like how the evolution of how Sotai works. But the thing that I will tell you is that the, the best, the best way to look at this right now is to, when you're looking at all the other perceived archetypes, wipe that whiteboard off. Whatever you thought the rules were, um, some of them are not the same anymore. And and that's one of the big things. There are there, Magic, there are no sacred cows. And 
Everything has context. And so the best example I have for this is the deck that I've actually been working on to really good success. And I'm going to have a uh, dedicated session of playing against Soltai to make sure, because I will be playing Red Bull on tap this weekend since it has such a good starting time for, for Americas. Um, but I've been playing Teamer Clover, Teamer Adventures. And originally that deck was not good against Soltai. They had Casualties of War and both your Brazen Virus and your Bone Crusher Giants and even... You know, your Lucky Clovers weren't that great against them, and it didn't have a really good game plan initially. But lately, they've been moving away from Casualties of War. They've been uh, moving away from some of the cheap interactive spells for game one. And they've been playing cards like Brazen Bar and Shark Typhoon, which are kind of jokes against you. Um, and and less Planeswalkers that, like, destroy your stuff or, or have a huge impact on the game like, like Ugin. And, you know, Kyle Bogamus and other people have identified that playing Nissa in your adventure deck is very good. So now my list has a bunch of Nissas. My game plan against Soltai is to board up Bone Crushers and some of my Lucky Clovers, board in counter spells and interactive spells. And I've been having a ton of success with the strategy uh, because Sick. they just don't have the tools anymore. They're all going away from the casualties of wars and those game plans. Your Brazen Bars now have targets because you can hit their Shark Typhoons, you can tempo their Nissas. Um, that was the big problem against Sultai. It's like they always, you just always had like one permanent on the battlefield. So their Brazen Borrower like would always fizzle if you have a Clover. And it, it just wasn't about that game. But yeah, if they're starting to play to the battlefield more, that list sounds awesome. Well, it's, I want to see it. They're 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 <laughs> forced, they're they're forced to do this because they've built mm -hmm. their deck this way. Like two weeks ago, Corey, uh, they were focused Corey. on the matchup. I just want to say, Corey, if you want to see the deck list, you got to go to Facebook, type in Brad Nelson. <laughs> oh, OK, I'll do that right now. Everybody else that's listening also do that right now. If you want to get no, this list, that. I'll put the list in the discord. Jeez, stop. Don't <laughs> like I like people. But like the one thing that that has gotten me over the years is just getting bombarded by messages. There's no personal thing like, you know, like every time I used to go to a tournament, especially at like the height of my popularity, and I had a lot of people having me sign or interact with me, you know, I'd have like 40 really good interactions and one bad one. And that <laughs> one bad one, that person always thinks I'm a dick. And I think about that every night before sleep because my brain is terrible. Because my <laughs> brain's broken. I think about all the bad interactions I've had with people, but it's still nice. only like 1% of my interactions at tournaments. Yeah, yeah, I think that's just natural, honestly. But, yeah, it's yeah. And, and you know, but like, that's why... Don't bombard me with a bunch of messages. Just don't. I will I will yeah. interact in the Bom Discord. I will post my deck lists. <laughs> Everyone knows bombard at Shaheen Sarani instead. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, uh so yeah, just ignore the the messages I already sent you then. Oh so, yeah, same. Yeah. I sent a few. Yeah. But yeah, so like I've been just working on Teamer Adventures. I'm gonna tune the cyborg a little bit. I've I'm still exploring a few options, but I was pretty surprised that I was doing so well. And it makes sense though, because when I was playing it initially and then switched over to Soltai, it's because they were actually, Teamer Adventures was the top deck in the format. Soltai Ramp is a mid-range slash control deck, so it had its interaction focused on Teamer Adventures. Then yep. as Soltai Ramp beat out Teamer Adventures and then was beating out Mono Green and Mono Red and some of the other decks in the format, then it started putting its focus on itself. So my question is, if Soltai were to go back to its kind of previous forms without... You know, like BBD said, to like kind of just stick to the deck that works. Do you think you'd have a bad matchup again? Uh, well, it depends on what those cards are because there are for different iterations. The thing is, is I don't think it can mm -hmm. go back to its original form. 
its original form had Ugans and Casualties of War and all that. And these new yeah. Flash versions are going to eat it alive. Yeah. So yeah. I just want to point out that the evolution of Sultai Ramp is basically identical to the evolution of Teamer Reclamation. And yep. this deck just looks like Teamer Reclamation if you just didn't have Reclamation and had Nissa instead. Like, it just looks like the same deck. It really does. Honestly, BBD, I was looking like I, I was going to give it like a week or two before we start seeing two commence the end games in the sideboard. You know, Seri- like seriously, it, it just it, it really like, seems like it's going to be like that. It Like one of my favorite memes that has recently sprung up is just the astronaut meme. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. <laughs> I've it's, been seeing that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's where like there's like one guy looking at the Earth and then just another guy standing behind another astronaut behind him with a gun to the back of his head. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. just... Like, I'm just imagining right now, it's just a guy looking at the Earth saying, like, this is just Team Reclamation. And then the other guy's like, always has been. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, this just looks like Team Reclamation again. And so, I I mean, I I would just say, I mean, I'm not, I haven't been playing that much standard. I played a little bit, but not that much. But it's like, I, I look at this and I just think, like, yeah, whatever worked for winning the Team Reclamation mirror as that arms race progressed probably going to be the same thing here well, you know well that, like, it was called to fairy time raveler brian yeah okay one thing i will never say of, never heard of it <laughs> one thing i will say that leads to it though is just uro i mean uro is so powerful that you build your deck around it and both decks do it in similar ways so uro kind of like homogenizes the 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 way those simic slash x decks are built in a way yeah. wouldn't you guys agree and, and it's yeah that's a really good piece of insight honestly it's yeah. like the, probably the reason that all these decks are eventually converged to looking the same is because that's just the best way to take advantage of Uro, which is just yeah. a really, really dumb card. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to yeah, say it. Play, playing a large amount mm-hmm. of lands, uh, having a lot of interactive spells, and then mm-hmm. and then playing well with Nissa or Wilder's Wreck. But, I mean, yeah. so, yeah, for, for this weekend, I think that the best... In my personal opinion, the best thing to do would be to probably not play mono green, even though we got SETI P uh, streaming and playing it to high results a lot. Um, I mm-hmm. just think that the literal one piece of good interaction that Soltai Ramp is playing main deck right now for these matchups is Aether Gust. So I would probably yeah. try to dodge that card as much as I can. And yeah. is it seems better um, because it has blue creatures or, you know, Boros cycling, you know, mono black where they well, sidestep those kind of things. Even if they're a less powerful deck, it seems better to go like that just to blank those those cards. But your deck still. So no matter what, I mean, you don't have to beat it every time because no one's going to beat it every time. But mm-hmm. like even with you have to understand that these Sultai Ramp decks are still good for a reason. And you still have to understand that if you're on the draw and they just go Thought Erasure into Uro, into Nissa, into Krasis. You know, these are still just draws they're going to do. And so yeah. you can't just assume that something that didn't beat it before is going to beat it now. Yeah, um, you can't yeah. just pick a bad deck that's well positioned against it and think that you'll win because of the well positioning, because you can still just lose to obscene mythics. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that's usually why these mid-range decks get into this top deck, top billing, cannibalization um, metagame because they're surrounded by ridiculously powerful mythics and rares. Um, And so you can't go into it thinking that way, but what you can do is you can start looking at how you gain your card advantage and how the interaction is going to play out. If your deck is good against Aether Gust and Brazen Borrower, um, then, you know, that's a pretty good place to be. And that's one of the reasons why I've been playing, you know, 
team or adventures because if they're holding up mana against me that means that i can start my turn with one like my clover or my edgewall innkeeper yeah and, and and i can you know they can't really bounce anything of value and yeah uh, and aether gusting a one drop doesn't feel very good that replaces itself because then i can slam my nissa you know and so yeah, yeah. uh there and even just once you have a clover then they can't really gust your spells anyway when you cast them but yeah. Um, it's thinking about things like that and, and moving forward with, with those concepts and finding your game plans, but understanding that when we get into these arms races, there's a, there's always about a time that you want to keep going or jump ship. And yep. it's always difficult to find. But what I will say is I think I've been actually doing them wrong for a very long time. Um, And my biggest piece of advice from learning from my failures is I think I, from now on, I am just going to keep going with them until the format breaks because I keep trying to get off uh, at the right time and I always get off a little bit too early. Like yeah. I, I, I and and do you think you're too early this weekend? Because I'm feeling sidestep as well. Like I, I I've just, been looking at I want to be making do, jokes you know? here. I honestly, it's just so hard to hold oh, back. Because I was saying get off too early. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's just uh, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> Brian, oh, I mean, it's <laughs> look, it's all I can do to hold back at this point. Yeah. I, I had to, something had to be said, so damn it, it didn't register for me either. Yeah, God, I, I, I must didn't, be getting I didn't lame, see it. but <laughs> yeah, like I, I regretted my choice for players to a final. Like, I just played teamer and, yeah. and I regretted not going ham with, with the four color version. And, yeah. um, and while you know, like, I think because of Usually, like we said, doing the ignore thing can work and be successful. But because of how Nissa and Uro work as magic cards, you kind of just have to keep going. Um, well, yeah, as the arm, like as the it's kind of a function of the rest of the metagame. Yeah. Like if if it's a one deck format, then you have to keep going on the arms race because it's the only deck that matters. And that's kind of what it was with that last format. When we played our teamer, uh, you know, my list wasn't the same as yours was close, but like the, the teamer reclamation deck that we played, we'd stopped on the arms race, but it was almost a one deck format. And so we should have kept going because it was the only deck that mattered and you just have to keep going when there's only one deck that matters. But in a, in a little bit more balanced metagame where mid range might be the best deck, but it's not the only deck. That's where you have to make those decisions. Yep. Yep. Well said. So I, I think if I was playing this, I, I, I haven't been playing a lot of Sultai because I didn't want to get into the arms race for personal reasons. Now, if I. Yeah, I hated it. I hated it yeah. last week. I'm not going to lie. It was it sucked. It yeah. was not fun. Magic. It is a, yeah, the arms race isn't that fun. Usually I agree. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a bad time for magic. That's why no one wants to get involved in it, because uh, mm -hmm. you're just playing these mirror matches over and over again. But like. You know, so that's why I switched over to Team Adventures because I, I, I'm i going to cast as many Nisses as I can before rotation because I love the card. Um, mm -hmm. But I've been trying them in, in the Adventures deck and they are sick in there. Oh, that deck with a lot of mana. Um, and I just loved the Adventure strategy before. Like, it's been one of, my, one of my favorite decks to play. So I'm all in on that deck. It sounds awesome. It, it has been a lot of fun and I, I'm going to be tuning it tonight. Tonight's one of my test nights. Uh, where I've like hollowed out some time to to get some more practice in, and um, but yeah, I will get I'll get you a deck list and stuff in the Discord. But uh, but for everyone else that's listening, I, I honestly believe that if you 
feel comfortable and like playing these decks, you probably should. And you should always play what you feel comfortable with in situations like this because enjoyment is a little bit more like feel good, play good, you know? And Oh yeah, I, I tie enjoyment to actually just playing better because if I'm not enjoying playing, I kind of don't focus as much. I'm maybe like looking on Twitter while I'm playing a match or something like that. I, I definitely find I do a lot better when I just sit down and I love the deck I'm playing. Like Azorius Control has been something I've just always loved playing. Whenever I play that, you know, I usually... Uh, play at the best of my ability. I may not, you know, win the tournament or whatever, but I play better when it's a deck I like to play. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, I mean, that's the, it's it's always super important, but like yeah. uh, the the point is that you can't justify what deck you like will be better because the main decks aren't caring about them as much. Like, don't 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 use some back backwards logic. To, to trick yourself into playing like monogreen aggro um yep. stuff like that and i think that's very important during these weeks uh i mean i might be doing that with adventures but i do have some results to back it up um i am in the top 50 on the ladder oh yeah oh Ooh. i thought you said you had some results to back it up though oh, oh. got him <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you're mean, not number one. You're not croaky, and you're last. So si sidestep if you want to, but don't don't ever play a bad deck to try to beat an arms race. That's just a losing strategy. Yeah, never never no. justify playing a bad deck. Um, you, you're probably better, like you're better off just playing, you know, a Alexander's deck at a Nightpack Ambusher for the fun of it. You know, like honestly, mm. um, or or you know the like Brian said the. Uh, the commence the end games. Yeah, adding, for sure. adding the commence the end games. Um, I actually personally think that adding a chemistry's insight makes more sense than a commence the end games first. Uh, but then you have to play uh, spectral sailor because it's better in specific <laughs> matchups over chemistry's insight. So. Yeah. Oh no no no! The the time of the unbeatable sailor has a, unfortunately <laughs> came to an end. But that card with wilderness reclamation. Oh my. god. God, I won so many games with that. But now you can and do people it. People were just not playing it. it now you can do it with Nissa. Now you can do it with Nissa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've, I've also mana. won one or two games of that. Yeah. yeah. Both imagine, unta imagine untapping a breeding pool and then casting a one mana green spell and a one mana blue spell. Oh, oh broken value. Let's go. So what's that one mana <laughs> green spell that we're playing? Gain uh, eight life. Yeah. yeah life yeah. goes on. <laughs> Life goes on, and so does our podcast. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so that's it. That's that's the Irons Race. But uh, if anyone has any questions, comments, concerns about this topic, or advice what they should be playing this coming weekend, let us know in the Discord. Uh, you can get access to that by going to patreon.com slash bachelor's podcast. That is the best way to support us and what we do each week. <coughs> and also, for all of you out there that already do support us at the $10 tier or higher, um, our there should be a link that we uh, our editor sent out on Patreon to our first minisode. Corey and I did our first minisode on active and passive synergies. The topic, yep, Discussed. it was a lot of fun to do. It was uh, it, it was really fun to you know connect uh, the visual side of it. It is our first um, with video a, with a topic. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was really cool. I hope y'all check we, it out. We will, give us some give us some feedback. We will we officially have watchers, Brian. We have viewers now. <laughs> Finally. Finally. My Finally. Well, not yet technically. <laughs> Tomorrow we'll have viewers. 
Yeah. Still to this well, when this podcast's out today, we'll have viewers. Yeah, that is yeah. true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so check that out. Time's an illusion. <laughs> check that out. And then uh, before we go for this episode, let's talk about some upcoming events this weekend. If you're interested in playing in some standard action with me, I'll be playing in Red Bull Untapped Invit. International qualifier number six that starts at Saturday at 9 a.m. PDT noon Eastern. So Red Bull Untapped is actually having a tournament for North America time zones. It usually is in the middle of the night for us. Yeah. Um, but this week they are they're giving North America a friendly North and South America a friendly time zone. So I'll be playing. Damn. How many rounds is it? It is eight rounds day know? one. It cuts to depending on the size, which looking at the current size, it should cut to top 64. Um, uh -huh. So you will have to finish like, you know, 611, 602, 71 around that area. Uh -huh. And then cool. uh, day two is all single elimination. It's actually a lot of fun. Javier uh, is a friend and test partner of ours. And mm -hmm. he plays all and of he's them. He's been playing them a lot. Oh, he loves yep. them. Yep. He took second yeah. in one of them. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, all single elimination day two. So, so it's like a quick, fast, you know, get... Get your tournament over doesn't doesn't take up a whole ton of time so fun yeah that sounds there. really cool five thousand dollars in prizes and then the winner of it will qualify for a 16 person 75k tournament later this year there's also the same day is the uh season two championship qualifier number four for scg if you want to qualify for that you'll have to play in a standard challenge sometime this week on mtg melee but that tournament and that's where you'll be coming to play against me Hell coming yeah. into my ring. <laughs> uh, and then last but not least uh, that I want to promote for this coming weekend is the MTG arena zone historic open. That is Sunday at 10 a.m. Great community. That's been running a lot of tournaments, weekly historic tournaments. They've got huge turnouts. Seems like a fun, fun group of people. I might actually, if I have time playing that this week, because I want to start practicing historic, uh, but that'll start on Sunday, 10 a.m. Uh, PDT. Oh, that'll be cool. All right. Well, and and one other announcement. Uh, exactly one month from now, it'll be the the Bash Bros Battles tournament on MTG Melee, September twentieth. Whoa, a month and a day, bro. A month and a day. Uh, but when this comes out, it will be a day later. Huh? Yeah. But what if people? What if people listen to the podcast on Thursday? Then it's a day less. That's that's what Brian just said. Yeah, but. Or what about on and Friday? Here is, is the cast and crew, everyone. All right. So, all right. so uh, for anyone that doesn't know, the cast and crew is all of our wonderful patrons that are on the $20 tier. Uh, we have changed things and made them monthly. So go check those out. Anyone that is part of the previous cast and crew that has not went to Patreon and uh, redid their whole setup, please go do that because um, even though it's, it's the same price, Technically, um, I guess it's a little cheaper because it's it's how it works, probably. But yeah, um, but it gets reset, but it got reset. So this is the official people that have could come in. Please cast and crew that are part of it from from all those. If you have not done anything, don't be mad at us. It is your fault. We blame you. All mm, negative yes. things come and get pushed to the employees. That's the American way. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes. All right. So let's yeah, we just get we get government bailouts. You yes. guys get the blame. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, we're starting off our cast and crew with Wapa. Uh, it was Mikhail A, but they told us to change their name because I can't pronounce it. Uh, but that is nice. my personal barista. Wapa brings us the best coffee that I am sipping right now, even though it got cold since you know my I I poured a cup right before the episode. Now it's just ice cold. Love That's it. delicious. 
All right, next up is uh, one of our newest, uh, our highest uh, tier of Patreon here. And let me tell you, this is this one's going to go well. So it is Tassilio Von Parsival, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, no. and you, and what, you, and you all... You all will not believe uh, the job that is chosen here. It is Corey's linguistic coach. God, <laughs> I feel personally attacked by uh, this position, and rightfully so because I was personally attacked by my co-host. So, yep, thanks, guys. To Silicon, thankfully, Parcival, I'm just please, please uh, work with Corey weekly. Yeah, especially on your name. I, I, I'm going to need a, a coaching session stat <laughs> on how to pronounce your name. So I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I nailed Vaughn. So yeah. that's I, I, I nailed Vaughn, Corey's and coach. So, I mean, that's half the words. So let's uh, go. 50 percent, 100 percent of the time. All yeah. right. Next up, we got Adham, who is our ghost writer. So mm. Adham writes everything for the show. Uh, comes up with all of our jokes, comes up with all of our content, but doesn't get any of the credit for it. We get all that credit. Now, I want to say that it says that Adham was uh, our one and only longtime 499 tier subscriber, but I don't even know yes. what that means. No, Brian, so. Brian, like when we had our we, we, we set up our Patreon last year okay. and we yeah. had we had a 499 tier. Um, okay. This tier was a a third cousin, and yep. Yep. they did not get any anything. They didn't get any any previous any, tiers. Nothing. Nothing yeah. from previous tiers. They got nothing besides our thoughts and prayers. And so, uh -huh. while while Adam was on that list, you know, we couldn't even talk about it. It's 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 like Voldemort. You just the, you can't say the name. It was the rule. We could yeah. not mentioned Adham, even though Adham was a key member. So, yeah, I don't, uh, I never thought about him, never prayed for him. I don't think that tier ever actually existed. Oh, it actually, uh, think, it actually doesn't exist. It's actually fourteen ninety nine. Yeah, I, I think it was more of a, th a third cousin once removed because uh, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't Brian. remember any of that happening. I just want to say thanks, Adham, for being a new a supporter of the podcast, somebody that we've never <laughs> experienced before. So Brian, Brian Brondoon, you were, <laughs> you were, you were contracted in to be giving him your thoughts and prayers. So you need to contractually get on this to uh, fulfill your duty. <laughs> All right. Thinking about it real hard right now. Perfect. Okay, well, you do God. that. We're going to uh, talk about the next person on the cast of crew who's David Watt, the special guest screener. Um, David glue that holds it together. Yep. Now this is the glue that holds it together. Yep. Without David, I don't know where we would be, but it might have been a better place. Yeah, glue, glue that never hardens, maybe or something. So it's just constantly a mess. That's what David does. All right. Next up, we got Gino Batista, and that is our special guest, but doesn't have time to actually make it to the show. So on the payroll, but never really has had time. So we've had to. Have David Watt figure out the next best thing. So Brian's fault. been our silver medal. Yeah, yeah, they they were going to be the arms race expert this week, but sadly they uh, they, they, have, they, they make it on the show. Yeah, they some <laughs> other obligations there. So you brought in better choice. So. <laughs> yeah, they they sidestepped this podcast. Smart yeah. on them. Yeah. So next up we have Sam Prudhomme, which is the BBP personal fitness trainer. 
And I got to say, Sam's really been toning down the X-Men, the uh, exercise regime to be more in line of what we're capable of. And we're still not doing it. So yeah, he's been overworking me. I've been I've been really not enjoying it. What was our God. what was in the Discord? What was this weekend? It was to to change uh, make one motion. Twice. You had, you had to go one. to two different places within your own house over the course of a day. You had to make you had yeah. to move twice. Yeah. I was only able to move one time my from my bed to the computer. And then yeah. couldn't make the return trip, so I failed. But <laughs> I yeah. if I wanted, if I wanted to do P90X, I would have ordered yeah, it, Sam. Yeah, yeah so, seriously. Yeah. Keep it, keep it something, something that we can actually accomplish oh, here. God, what is this uh, parkour shit he's having us do? Yeah. yeah. All right. So next up is Jer Majaldi. Now I got a bone to pick with Jer. Yeah. All right. So Jer is the assistant to the assistant regional manager. Now, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know the story of Jer, it's our story. It's nothing to do with them. But it's the fact that we don't know how to pronounce Jer's name. And Jer has never come to us to tell us. I thought Jer was probably someone like I, I, I'm, I support other podcasts or, or Twitch streams. And even though I'm not like partaking in their content lately, um, I, you know, I just keep the subscription. So I thought maybe that that's how this was playing out. Cause Jer, we keep saying on the podcast, Hey, can you tell us how, how to say your name? And we hear whispers, you know, we hear nothing. But we hear crickets. We hear crickets. Yeah. So, so Jer, do you ever think we just said it right? And that's why he doesn't follow maybe. us. The, the likelihood of that. Yeah. So oh, very low, very low. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. What are you talking about? I have a linguistics coach and that's how I've said it. I okay, mean, that's fair. That is fair. Yeah. So Jer, like, so we, we did the, the update in the Patreon, right? And that changes all the tiers. And, and I, you know, I haven't, on the email address, we'll get notifications when anyone comes in or changes their tiers or what have you, or sends messages so I can respond to them. Especially new cast and crew. If you become a person of the cast and crew, tell us what you want for your name and what your, what you, what job you'll do for us. And I will make that happen. But so Jer immediately changed to the, the the cast and crew tier. So clearly is on top of this, right? Clearly knows <laughs> what's going on. Clearly hears these and probably laughs at us. Well, he <laughs> never responds to us. It blew my mind. I, when I saw it, I just stopped what I was doing. I was like, no fucking way. Maybe yeah. this entire time they've been like, I subscribe to this cast and crew tier and they never once have put me on the actual cast and crew. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know who this other person like person is that they keep butchering a name, but like we're so yeah. far off on our pronunciation that they don't even realize we're talking about them. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just like Greg, yeah. Greg Myers or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, at least at least Jeremy Geldy has a good sense of humor, unlike the joke that we're portraying with his job. But anyway, Next up, we got Keith Trojanowski, and that is our unpaid intern. Yep, Keith does all the work. Once again, unpaid. We're thinking about cutting his pay a little bit more, but that's a conversation we'll have to have with Keith a little bit later. Well, we did technically cut the pay. <laughs> we, we changed the tiers. <laughs> that's right. All got right, we got, uh, we got Phil, just straight up Phil. I kind of imagine uh, Peter from Deadpool 2, if you know what I'm getting at. No last name. Bald Bros podcast liaison. Um, I gotta say, that's a role that's near and dear to my head. So, yeah, real, really important role to connect, connect the two streams, you could say. So, we've got Time Ghoul, who is BBD's resident personal massage therapist, and uh, and that the, used to be our manager, but now just likes to to 
to rub. Got a promotion, you could say. Got Time Cool really wants to take a hands-on approach to this. That's now, right. Instead, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. And 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 got a promotion. You can say it. I mean, I. You you might say rub. I might say tug. But you know. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> all right and uh yeah, yeah so. no, I'm, I'm in trouble though i set up this i put this this up here we are missing a patron they're supposed okay. to be they're supposed to be 11 what, what, what yes i thought it didn't go to 11 oh it, i thought it no, only man. goes why to don't 10. you just why don't we just make 10 louder though like yeah. just crank up the 10 we have or <laughs> seriously i don't get it yeah no that I'm... makes sense Oh, Brad, it's it's Paul Kakarowski. How could we forget? We open a Coke Zero to his name every... There we go, yes. Did Paul I miss, did I miss the, my cue? Or? Nah, a little late, but not too bad. Not okay. too bad. How could I Paul is the most important was, job. How could I forget that it was Paul Kakarowski? I don't want to have to fucking do this, fucking shit, do this shit anymore. Kowalski, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually disappointed in you, Brad. I mean, that's yeah. what's new. Yeah, I know it's not new, but... We've gotten to the point where you've soundboarded me doing that so many times that now the next level is me just doing it again. Yeah, we soundboarded it. Yeah, Yeah. just me doing the recreation so accurately that they don't realize it wasn't a soundboard. Yeah, no, that is next level shit. Yeah, Yeah. that's some next level fucking shit here. I mean, next level shit. Any cost for me? (laughs) What's that? There's no cost to me, even if you do that. I just get to hear it again. But it's a cost to our audience. Yeah, yeah. but the I mean the big thing is that I don't want to have to fucking do this shit anymore. I don't want to fucking do this shit anymore. Do this yeah. shit anymore. <laughs> I don't want to fucking do this shit anymore. <laughs> now we don't know. It's like a house of mirrors. We don't know who like, really what's real, what's wrong, you know? Yeah, but just, the one thing we know that this is really becoming pretty accurate to my own I don't want to fucking life. do this anymore. What? <laughs> All right. Paul Cad, I don't want to fucking do this shit anymore. Rowski is Beauty's Wallstering photographer. His Who probably role doesn't is, want to fucking do this anymore after that. Yeah, uh, oh yeah. Paul him. hasn't wanted to fucking do this anymore for a long time. Uh, but his, his job is to s- take pictures of me staring at walls. He <laughs> stares at me while I stare at a wall, and the wall stares back. So that's very nice. Yeah, they're good pictures. <laughs> they're good All pictures. Right, take us, me. take us home, my brother. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Bash Bros Podcast. Remember, if you support us through Patreon, you'll be able to uh, take a look at our first mini-sode that is talking about uh, active versus passive synergies and deck building. It was a lot of fun. Each week, we'll be making more mini-sodes that come out at the same time as the podcast. So Thursdays, lots of Bash Bros Podcast content. And uh, also, anyone that supports on there can get access to our Discord, as well as play in our first Bash Bros Battle Tournament scheduled for September 20th. That's all I've got for this episode, but we will be back next weekend. And you can also find Corey and I playing in uh, separately. I'll be playing in the Red Bull Untapped Tournament this weekend on MTG Melee, and Corey will be playing the SCG Tour Standard uh, Championship Qualifier. That's what it's called. Brandy. Number four. Number four. Which is the amount of top eights you have in them. And that's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Also, 
Also, the game golf that you've been playing also what has to the do with golf the golf is actually just a very fun game. Swear, <laughs> swear, go you. Oh, so you get you get like a month free and then you have to like pay for like whatever, like 100 games. For, you get like for five dollars a month, you get like access to 100 games. Yeah, but this yeah. game is after so they've good. reeled you in. This game is very you. good. I'm, I'm addicted to it. It's a puzzle solving game and it's a lot of fun. But anyway, wow. thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week. See you then. Bye-bye.